Welcome to Get Behind Fanny, a podcast dedicated to the behind-the-scenes stories of the music, the members, and the musicians influenced by the rock group Fanny, the godmothers of women who rock. horn sound let's do it yeah hi everybody i'm alice debure and i'm fanny Ooh. strummer <laughs> why are you on the podcast why are you here and i am dr Kristen hilaire glasgow and i think for me that's the real question why am i here oh because i'm the daughter of fanny's manager roy silver <laughs> and i'm byron wilkins lifelong fanny fan and I don't know why I'm here. I'm just here. <laughs> I'll tell you you're what. here for a lot of reasons. And good oh, ones. yeah. Oh, yeah. I just teased myself. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what. I'm ready to dive into our conversation about June and the hashtag June Jans, because this is going to be a fun one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know what, Byron? I'm really excited, too. But before mm-hmm. we get started, there's oh, that. there's a butt. There's that butt. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, we have some birthday bakeries uh, to yeah. shout out for some really, really, really special fans who have been therefore you know every podcast and making comments and sending in questions mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. ideas and that yeah. is we've got um birthday bakery going out to nigel langridge in the uk Yay. Hey, <laughs> yes happy and birthday got, nigel <laughs> right and we've got kevin michael leblanc in oh. nova Yay. scotia wow. yeah kevin. So, yep and then we've got our own new friend, Fanny Fan, Vicki Davis, oh, who is yeah. Jean's friend in, in Davis and helps her with the, the interviews and they listen to the podcast together. And cool. so happy birthday, Vicki. Happy, yep. happy birthday, Vicki. Yeah. That's wonderful. We also have a very, very special Fannyversary for mm-hmm. this episode. Who would that be? Who? Uh, who? I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> I think it may be our very own Byron, happy yes. anniversary! <laughs> Woo! Oh, let me tell you. You've hung years, in there huh? a long time, Byron. You've hung in there a long yeah. time. How do you feel, Byron? <laughs> well, you know, it amazes me that Fanny's music has been a big part of my life for the past half century. Wow, <laughs> half century! Isn't that amazing? That, you know, and it's just yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. and it, the, it stands the test of time. Blah blah blah, all that stuff. But you know, it also makes me feel a little old. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my mind, you're still a little whippersnapper. Oh yeah. Yes. And you know what? (laughs) You're the puppy. And also, I have to say, there is nothing old about Fanny's music. It is as new to me today as it was 50 years ago. And it's weird because it's 50 years for me, too. I was three. Yeah. Which is amazing. (laughs) Talk about the soundtrack of my life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really? Really? So, okay. That's just all so wonderful. Happy birthday. Happy Happy anniversary. Happy, 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 happy. happy. So let's now get to, exactly. Let's get to this episode in which we're featuring part one of hashtag June jams Hmm. for our our new hashtag series. Mm -hmm. And I just can't wait for all of you to hear the songs that we're going to be listening to that June picked and the interview. Yeah. And you know, Kristen, what I really Mm -hmm. love about this interview that you did with her, Mm -hmm. um, it's, I'd have to call it more of a conversation than Mm. previous interviews have been because you and June both are so relaxed and you're so comfortable. It's just easy. It's an easy conversation, which is really, really, really cool. And Mm -hmm. that made us decide that we wanted to share it with you. Yeah, that's That's right. That's right. I so enjoyed this conversation with June, as you called it, Alice. And unlike what we've done in the past on this podcast, where we edit in interviews to the songs, Mm -hmm. 
So we've decided to break that template, at least for this episode. And so, as Alice said, we're going to listen to the interview in full. And then what we're going to do is go into the three songs that June picked, Place in the Country, Badge, and It Takes a Lot of Good Lovin'. So let's listen. Great trio. And actually, this is a perfect segue because... Your sister has often talked about the song Place in the Country, which she picked and you have picked. Alice picked it as well. I'm going to assume Nikki would if she could. Mm -hmm. Um, And that but what Gene always said about Place in the Country was this kind of Santana flair. But without it being derivative, it's just the, the ending, the flow that you guys are going through. So let's just start with your choice of Place in the Country. What made you initially say, yes, it's a go to for me? Well, it was just so obviously good, and it spoke to uh, our times, you know. I want to get away and go to a place in the country. It sort of didn't matter whether you were escaping the Vietnam War or all the ravages of, uh, you know, the times with civil rights and people, our leaders getting killed, (laughs) that kind of stuff. I mean, that hadn't quite happened yet in the early 70s, but you could feel it coming, you know. And there were so many complexities uh, to that time period. So it was just a great song. I mean, we knew it was a great song. I couldn't have articulated it that way in that time, but we knew it was a great song. So we totally just dug into it. And because of sort of the style that I was learning at the time, how to play lead guitar, I was able to totally dig into it. And of course, Gene and Alice, they, they know that, that stuff. They know how to kind of lend themselves to any kind of a, a song that's got a beat, really, and that had a particular funk slash Latin thing. And let's don't forget, I used to stand by Santana at the Fillmore in Winterland in front of the guitar players. I didn't know he was Santana until he released Santana. But we were very, uh, you know, well-versed in that style, having come from up north. And that, that style was not a thing in L.A. L.A. was a whole other trip, you know, it was... Eventually, it was the Eagles, but it was, uh, you know, everything else that you could think of. Little Feet, for example, which didn't particularly uh, lean in that direction. I mean, they they did end up getting a conco player. But we kind of knew that style uh, inside because of the stuff that we had grown up with up north. I, I mean, I really believe that. Well, that's interesting. And if you can talk a little bit more about that, because Nikki was the one who wrote the song. And so did she she put that uh, kind of, uh, you know, influence on it, the Santana tinged or Latin tinged? I'm not sure that she showed it. I don't remember how she presented it to us. But as soon as we started digging into it, I'm sure we we came up with that style pretty quickly. And let's don't forget that we knew Mike Shreve, Santana's drummer, who was Wendy's boyfriend when we were in high school. So, you know, we were in that scene. quite a bit. Uh, I really don't know whether or not Nikki brought it up onto us that way, uh, but it, it quickly developed into that. That is what we were interested in. Well, the confluence of coming together is just an extraordinary. I mean, it really bringing that together. And yeah. so in Place in the Country, if you can, of course, I would love it. Talk about your presentation of your playing on the song. In addition to the Latin flair, but I mean, what were you hoping to achieve with what you were presenting? Oh, I, you know, in terms of hoping to achieve, I think 
basically in those days I was praying not to make a mistake. <laughs> but let's go first with the rhythm section, okay? The way that we played those rhythm parts, Nikki and I, with Gene and Alice, was very specific. It was had a, had a funk thing right down the center, and that's uh, really important. And that, uh, you know, double-time thing that Alice is doing on the hi-hat is not easy, you know? She could do that. She could do that. And Gene's bass parts are always kind of dancing all over the place. I mean, her bass parts are really exquisite. Um, and I, I can say that now. I didn't think of it as that then because we were all just trying to, you know, keep our own lifeboat afloat. I don't know about Nikki, but, you know, Gene and I, and I think probably Alice, we just kind of think, oh, my God, we just got to stay on it and get it right. Because we jammed on these songs for hours you know it wasn't like we just rehearsed it a couple of times and how we came up with that ending where it's and then you know two three four five and the ending um and the you know the solo i think i had some of it worked out before we went into the studio because of our jams that's really important to for people to know is how much we jammed on those on those songs and i don't know if i actually referred to listening to them i might have but we really developed that song to, to being an anthem of the times. Um, Vietnam was still going. I mean, we could feel it. We could definitely feel it. And it's an important song. It really is. Before we move on from it, and this is kind of silly because I'm, I do not mean to diminish the importance of the song, but one of the favorite parts of this song for me, for Byron, for almost all of your listeners is the moment where all of you go, ha, ha. Hey, <laughs> you know what? I think that just happened in the studio. I, I don't think we thought of it ahead of time. We were just excited, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I you literally said. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can feel the spontaneity, right? I mean, if we had planned it, it probably would have been, you know, it would have sounded like we had sort of, you know, wanted to create an effect, which you can't really do. It has to be spontaneous. You know, maybe we had it in the back of our heads, but when we did it in the studio, that excitement is definitely there. Fabulous. Okay, so you refer to Place in the Country as an anthem of the time, which indeed it was. It still it still holds up. Yeah. You had also, and I, I always credit you for this, but you had referred to Badge, which is another song that you picked as an anthem for Fanny. And I'm wondering, first of all, if you can talk to why is this on your initial, you know, go-to Fanny song for you? Mm -hmm. Well, for me in particular, my sound is so good. You know, it's my ES-355 guitar, the semi-hollow body, which is all, always ready to feedback. So, you know, I would get it to that sweet spot. And I, I was going through my, um, you know, my, uh, the organ sound, uh, Leslie. So when we get to the thematic part, I call that a, a guitar theme. You know, I mean, that's when I turned it on and I could also have it on a slow speed and a fast speed. And I got really good at managing that with what the guitar could do. So, you know, I feel really proud of my sounds. Um, and aside from that, you know, really, we felt like we owned that song. It was almost like we wrote it because those songs really, I can't believe that Eric Clapton and George Harrison wrote those because those could have been written by a girl, by any one of us. You know, yes, I told you not to 
it's just, uh, it's incredible. So when we sang those words, we were in the lyric. We owned it. And I think that that's part of why you, people, we, I, even now, feel it so profoundly because we owned it. We definitely owned it. We took that real estate and we made it our own. Mm, I love that. I absolutely agree with you. There is something so powerful about the a female singing those lyrics. I've always said under my under my thumb by the Rolling Stones should be done by a woman because those lyrics would take on a whole other meaning. You know, anyway, yes, I agree with you on that. Okay, so when in terms of I've I've never heard anybody say anything other than praise on badge in your, I don't even want to say co-option, but your interpretation of his lead, because it's to me, I think, A, I've said this a million times. I think you are so much better than Eric Clapton. I think your version of this song is a million times better than Eric Clapton. But how did you at the time being somewhat new at lead guitar at that point, how did you approach that? Well, you know, I took his solo as a template, you know, as a template. I don't think I had every note worked out, but you know, that period of time and my uh, approach to lead guitar playing, I can't separate it from Lowell George. And he was there in the studio with us all the time. He might've even been in the studio with us when we cut the basic or when I did my solo, he would park his VW bus in front of the studio and just practice. And then he would jaunt on in, have a couple of totes or whatever, and we'd all hang out. So I can't really separate it from Lowell. But taken on its own, you know, from the very first note, I am screaming my soul out to the last note. You know, wow. Um, It really speaks to something that my soul needed to say. And it was kind of a howl. It was a, you know, it was a plea, a real plea, like understand me, understand us. And I feel that even now, I get I get goosebumps hearing the tone on my guitar, plus how I dug in from the first note to the last in the solo. It's really incredible. And I mean, I say that being the woman that did it, but I, you know, I don't remember who that woman was. You know what I'm saying? I know that I was really reaching for something, and I, I and to my great surprise, now I realize I got it. I got to that place. Yeah, you you nailed it. <laughs> that is iconic playing. All of your playing is. I was just saying, as we just did for hashtag Jean Genie Part Two, your solo in What Kind of Lover, your funk on that. Honestly, every time I hear it, I just woo. I mean, you I, you cannot sit still on that playing. I, I just love your interpretation of that. You know, I like the studio version, but I like the live version even better. I realized after we had a couple of email exchanges, you know, that live version, I think was at the Bijou, was really incendiary. So, and I don't remember a note of, doing a note of it. You know, I just kind of got lost in it. And we had done that song for so long, you know, that was one of our favorite songs for a long time. So sometimes we would use it maybe to just warm up for a rehearsal session or whatever. We knew that tune backwards. We just loved it so much. Everything about it. I ain't got no, you know, just everything. The lyric, the, the, the funkiness. It's really an incredible track. I agree. And speaking of the Bijou, you picked, it takes a lot of good loving from the Bijou. 
And I'm curious why you want that. First, let's just start with why the Bijou versus the recording and then talk a little bit about your playing on the song and the song. Yeah, well, in on the Bijou version, um, even when I listen to it now, I don't know where beat one is on the intro. And I find that to be tremendously interesting. It's only when we launch into the actual song that you can tell where beat one is, or at least that I can tell where beat one is. And I think that's pretty incredible. Um, and somehow on that solo, again, I got lost up in it. And we all got lost up in the funk. You know, when did we start doing that song? It had to have been in the Svelts because we were in love with that song for the longest time. I think it was co-wrote, co-written by the guy, uh, Hot Buttered Soul. What was his name? But he had... Uh, oh, um, Booker M.G. and the... Booker, Booker T. No? No, not Booker T. No. Uh, anyway, uh, if we look it up, we get... We can, we'll find... Yeah. But it, uh, that song is just so funky from the jump. The original record is funky. We totally admired... Uh, the singing on the original hit or regional hit, I'm not even sure it was that big of a hit, but we adored it. So we could launch into that song any old time because we did it in the Svelts, I'm pretty sure. I think we have rehearsals with Wendy Haas playing with us, you know, um, with Brie. I mean, it was it was part of our inner repertoire. And that's partly why the Bijou recording is so good you know i i think in fact that i was kind of tanking emotionally at the time so i just like gave it my all i mean i wasn't afraid of anything in those live shows because i was so lost in myself that i just the only way i could find myself through the brambles so to speak was just to play uh whatever needed to come out and and not worry about mistakes because a lot of times i was worried about mistakes especially on the first and a little bit of the second album by the time we got to apple i don't think i was so you know, so concerned. Um, so that, that kind, of, kind of gets you into the inner spine of uh, a lot of good love. And it's just the lyric. I mean, <laughs> we just love the whole thing. Well, I love your, I mean, it's just a little tidbit part, but again, I love and fans love when it opens up and I, isn't it you going, oh, doom, doom, right? And just yeah. your joy yeah. in that. I love right. it. Right. But I can't tell where one is unless I, once I catch up with it, I can figure it out. You know, that's the amazing thing. I'm sure that we jammed on it so long that we all knew where the one was. But I, as a listener, even now, it's kind of hard for me to tell. And I think that's incredible. Uh, well, it is incredible. And, I, and you can feel your playing on it. Is, you can feel that all of you really are having fun playing that song. Yeah, over and I, over just, you know, I, I know I in particular gave it up. Because I had, I felt like I had nothing to lose. So hey, and and that's to our advantage now when we listen to the track. <laughs>
Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Wow. That was an emotional journey, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. It you was. know, June's interview or conversation, I, I yes. just love it so much. And oh. um, when she was talking about Place in the Country, questioning how uh, Nikki brought us the song, I imagine. And I don't remember it exactly, but I'm pretty sure Nikki brought it to us pretty much finished and just mm -hmm. gave it to us to interpret our parts and what where we felt we needed to add to it. And it was that mad again, that magic of Fanny where each one of us knew what the best part to play was to wow. make that song gel. You wow. know? Yes. That's yes, cool. absolutely. Yeah. And when June was talking about it takes a lot of good loving, yeah. I said Booker MG and no, not a car. Duh. <laughs> I bet Booker T. <laughs> yeah. and, and actually it's Isaac Hayes who wrote, who was saying that. Yeah. Hayes. Yeah. Well, yes, I'm actually, well, no, Judy Clay saying it takes a lot of good loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the hot butter song, excuse me. That, oh, uh, the hot butter, hot butter soul. Yes. So yeah, that was that was Isaac Hayes. Yeah, right. Isaac Hayes, yeah. But gotcha. I, ho I hope that you guys out there in uh, podcast land, Posco land, um, can <laughs> see now why we changed the template here a little bit and why we wanted to play June's interview and then play oh, the three yeah. songs that she was talking about. I mean, it just to me, it was just really, really special. And it was it was uh, it, it, it made the change just like we needed to do it. So it was cool. Mm -hmm. I think so too. Yeah. I, I'm just not ready to let go of the music yet. So okay. I want to say June's vocals on the second verse of it takes a lot of good loving uh -huh. is just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, she just, there's something so special in the tone of her voice uh -huh. when she does that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also one of the things that June was talking about is that she prefers the live Bijou version. Mm -hmm. of right. It takes a lot of good loving. Right. And Byron has helped us pull out her mm -hmm. incredible guitar licks from that song so that you can hear that tone Byron, great job. And you know what I love about this? You can really hear, I almost isolated that rawness in June's playing. Yeah. You know, that she was oh, yeah, talking absolutely. about that time period for mm -hmm. her where she was just so emotionally despondent off stage, but that on yeah. stage she could just give it all. And boy, does she. Incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a phenomenal. And we will put the uh, full clip up with the podcast, you know, what it posts. So. Okay. Look for it yes. down below. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, and I really wish that the that the sound was better on the yeah. version we're going to post for you guys to to listen to, because I really love when we can share Fanny's live sound, because mm -hmm. um, there's no comparison with studio to live. You know, in this, the drums are too loud. Nikki's voice goes out. Gene steps mm -hmm. in, but June through the whole thing. She is freaking wailing 
you know, and Richard Perry in the studio, he constantly tried to contain June, you know, but live, she was really able to just let it rip. And this is a perfect example of it. Her guitar sounds phenomenal. I mean, I call it a dirty sound and it's a good dirty, you know, it's a, I I love that sound. Yeah. And it, and it always sounded good live. June's guitar always sounded good live. And it's, that's, it's no wonder that she likes the live recording. I, yeah, I get it. I, I agree. You know, Alice, you had said something to me a while back when we were talking about Barbara mm-hmm. Streisand and yeah. um, Brian O'Neill coming to see you with the whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had said kind of in passing that Richard Perry did not see Fanny live that often, that it was more my father, your manager, who would come mm-hmm. to the gigs. Oh, gosh. So yeah. Right. So I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about that, because in a way, what made sense to me was... Maybe that's why Richard Perry didn't capture you as well live if he didn't see you live as much because he was so focused on a studio sound. Um, and, and I don't know if that was just part of him being a producer, but no, he did not come to that many shows that we did. I mean, when we played the whiskey, we were almost like the house band at the whiskey in L.A. where Richard could very easily have come to see us all the time but it was always your dad and mark and richard very rarely rarely came to a live performance and that's it makes sense that you know as a producer that's the sound he hears in his head and that's the sound he's going to go after is the studio sound and he's not going to come i wish he had you know i wish he had come because maybe then we would have been able to have more of a live sound on the albums you know, raw. that's what I mean. I think you yeah. would have appreciated the yes. brilliance of your live performances and the sound that you were creating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Take the, the reins you- off June, you know. <laughs> yeah, take the reins off. Yeah, exactly. All of you. And the other thing that struck me when interviewing June and Alice, you have answered this as well, mm-hmm. and Jean, is that all of you now have reflected about how you were so insecure then about your own parts. But that hearing Fanny through 2021 years, you're all amazed at your musical sophistication and the way the four of you collaborated together so well from the get go. Well, you know, um, I would have to argue a little bit. Well, I can't argue with it. The insecurity about our individual parts. Um, I, I did have some insecurity, but. The, the main thing, I think, is that we were so focused at the time on finding the right part and working out the right part that we were not able to step aside, step back, and listen to that whole sound. And now, when I listen to Fanny's music, especially as we discuss it here on the podcast, um, I'm amazed. It, 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 it's amazing to me the... I've been calling it magical um, because that sound of the original four members on those first four albums is a unique and magical sound that couldn't be replicated after, was not replicated after, and it is particular to Fanny. You know? I 100% agree. 1969 yeah. and 1973, <laughs> yeah. the historian said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you can go ahead, Byron. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, but, you know, in the past, talking about the past, it's, you know, June mentioned it was just another day at the office. 
Well, speaking of, you know, another day at the office, Kristen, your whiteboard and your post-it notes, you know, a trip to the office supply store, you know, but I'm really loving the uh, hashtag series, Jean Genie, June Jams, you know. <laughs> Delicious hashtags. Yeah. And hashtags. actually, yes, <laughs> my yeah. whiteboard is not that white right now. So I'm very excited about part de deux of hashtag June jams. Yes. Speaking of delicious, we have another dish to serve. I just thought I would go with all the you know, food <laughs> things. Let's just put it in there. It's on the menu. You know, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good one, Byron. I want some hash browns now, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, mm, every time gravy. I say that, I get hungry. So let's yeah. Yeah. food, food, food. Yeah. So what we want to say to all of you who are listening, make sure you don't miss the next episode. As for the songs, stay tuned. Mm -hmm. But we do have a couple of surprises up our sleeves, including a guest interview. So how's that for a tease? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are such a tease. Yes. Are such a tease. Moi? Moi? Film at 11, you know? Yeah. Here's a, here it comes. <laughs> One of these days we're going to have to do this podcast from France. We are. We are. Oh, oh I would love a hell of a that. road trip. Yeah. Talk about a road trip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but make sure you don't miss the next episode because it's um, another great conversation. Um, Kristen has just been nailing the conversations, that, like I said. Yeah. And uh, don't miss Thank it. Because it's good. It's good. <laughs> Thanks. And we also got uh, a really great email sent to us by Seagrave, uh, Fanny's Head Road. Oh, yeah, right. Where he went into the depth about June's equipment and focusing on the Leslie speaker and the pedal switch he made for. Her. Yeah. So for your gearheads out there like me who love this kind of stuff, you're we're going to be adding that to the post for episode thirty six, and it's going to get really crowded down there. So we're going to look <laughs> yeah. at the bottom of this post. <laughs> oh, and also Nigel for the birthday mm -hmm. bakery boy out oh, yeah. there. Yeah. We for the next episode we'll be asking June about your question on her. In your words, exquisite, close mm, quote, yeah. Gibson 355. So again, oh, yeah. stay yeah. tuned. Stay That's tuned. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I Me loved too. today's episode. <laughs> I can't wait for the next hashtag June oh, jams. Yeah. But for right. now, everyone, until mm -hmm. next time, that's a wrap. Hit it. Hit it.